National Treasure is a good one to watch, actually. It's a good movie. It's a sweet movie. Nick Cage knows what's up. I low-key love that movie. It's not low-key. It's actually really good. You know, it's very what was a much key. worse version of that? Sahara. Wow. Okay, I didn't. I did not know I was coming to the Sahara Slander cast. Okay. Hello, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Writers Group Book Club. We are a group of authors actively honing our craft while encouraging each other and our audience to just keep writing. We each have a project on the go, so we take turns reading each other's newest drafts and discussing them here. My name is Pat. I'm Jess. And I'm Lance. If you would like to read along, you can find some of our latest work posted on patreon.com slash WGBC podcast. As always, if you take the time to post your feedback on our subreddit, r slash WGBC podcast, we will take the time to read it and may even feature it in the show, which will begin after this sponsored message. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're an aspiring writer and you need a cup of coffee. Whether you were up late last night or need something to sip on while you're writing after this, you're going to need a hot cup of joe. Here at WGBC, when we need a cup, we always reach for Polar Coffee. Polar Coffee is a nano roaster in Ottawa, Ontario. The owner, Kevin, has built relationships with farmers around the world and has a great selection of ethically purchased single source beans that he will custom roast on order for a great price. We're talking cheaper than local coffee shop for an even better product. Kev also sells bulk green beans if you're a micro roaster yourself. Find him at the link in the episode description, delivery available in the Ottawa area. Hi, everyone. Um, So today I wanted to talk a little bit about what it actually takes to be a writer. So we've heard some great conversations about um, discovery writing versus planning, as well as how to frame your story. But I think it's super important that we actually acknowledge that writing is hard work. And before I get started, I want to just talk about two books that have been important to me in learning how to become a writer. And the first one is called On Writing by Stephen King. It's part memoir, part discussion about being a writer, and it's super great. It just talks about some of the mechanics um, as well as, you know, the life of a very prolific writer and person who's put out great books and some not so great books. And he has just a great perspective on the craft. Another book I'd like to talk about is called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and she is also a writer. She had a very popular book called Eat, Pray, Love, but she's also written fiction, and this book is really about what it means to live creatively beyond fear, um, kind of conquering that fear impulse we all have when we start creating and how to take criticism, how to kind of ignite that creative fire in your belly if this is something you really want to do. So I think those are two great resources to get you started. So for me, I decided to start writing seriously in 2021. It was in the pandemic. And I know that both Pat and Lance have also talked about wanting to write a book in the pandemic. So when I decided to actually get serious about it, what I did was I made a space in my home where I was going to write. So it was my work desk, but at a certain time each night, I transformed it into my writing space. It's good to have a little bit of a ritual um, before you start writing. So like you hear in our intro, we have someone pouring themselves a hot drink and then sitting down to start typing. So I would often do that myself. I'd make myself a hot drink. I'd light a candle. Um, I'd put on some music, turn the bedside light on. And this sounds like the beginning of like a romantic scene in a movie, but really I wanted to make sure I was calming myself down and getting ready to get into that kind of flow state where you start writing and you try to write for as long as possible. I also made a commitment to set aside time. So for me, because I am very bad with constraints, I told myself I would just sit in front of my computer for five minutes every day. And that's what I did. And five minutes usually turns into more than that because once you get started and you type a few sentences, you get that flow going. And so oftentimes I would be there for about an hour. And I find for myself personally, writing in the evening is better than writing in the morning just because I use writing as a way to unwind after a long day and that works for me, but try to find a time for you that works. Um, I know people that get up very early in the morning and write as the first thing they do. 
doesn't work for me, but it works for some people. In terms of the mental aspect, it can be helpful to actually call yourself a writer. This is what you're going to be doing. This is a hobby. You know, I have a hobby where I ride horses. And even though I'm not professional, I call myself an equestrian. It's part of who I am. And often if you make something part of who you are and you acknowledge that part of yourself, you give yourself permission to actually do that thing. So if you write, you are a writer. I don't care if you make money at it or not. Um, So congratulations. Welcome. And I guess I just want to turn the floor over to my two colleagues here to see what they have to say. I think if you write like one sentence of a of a of a first book, you're probably ahead of like, I don't know, 40% of all people who want to write something. So it's really easy to 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 get started. Most people never write the first sentence. Do you think that's because they're too afraid or like is it it's such a daunting thing because eh? you sit down daunting, and you're like, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Too daunting. I think that's why. So how did you eat that elephant then, Lance? That is a great question. I had an idea bubbling in my head. Not the first time I had ideas bubbling in my head. Um, I've talked before about how I was just idly listening to a sports podcast in the first couple months of the pandemic. And the podcast host said that if you if you're one of those guys who want who always talks about writing screenplays or writing a book and if you hadn't done it yet this year during the pandemic then I, mean, I got bad news for you you're never going to do it so i got a little um i got a little uh you know i, I felt personally attacked when he said that and, and then and then i had an interesting day at work that uh led to me writing the first page of the first short story i wrote and that's awesome I, and then i just kept going You know, I think that if you look at, you know, a book like Game of Thrones, the first book, it's like over a thousand pages. And I think people often look at that and say, well, I could never do that. But the thing that's crazy is that if you write a thousand words a day or even 500 and you wrote every day for a year, like you would end up with a huge book like that. It's, it's really just about keeping in the habit of it and, and, writing every day because you know if you write in fits and starts like you lose that consistency and then it can really seem like it's taking a long time and you lose momentum so I think that's why it's important just if you want to and like I don't write seven days a week but making that kind of promise to myself and even just telling myself I'm just gonna sit here and like whatever happens like in the next five minutes like it's none of my business like I'm just gonna try that was super helpful for me that's, this is definitely something I need to work on. I every three weeks when it's my turn, I binge write for three days and and do my part like that. I need to change my habits because I can definitely write for a very long time. Yeah, no, I need that timeline. I, I guess that's one thing. When I've tried to write books before, I've given up or lost interest. But then the writers group uh, sucks me in at least once every three weeks. So I think what you bring up is an interesting point because one of my writing teachers, I remember them saying, like, if you want to get serious, like, you need to give your art a community to breathe in. And I think what Pat's bringing up is is really good because if you only have individual accountability to yourself, it's hard to meet deadlines because, like, no one's there pushing you. But if you have friends that are writing with you and alongside you, man, it changes the game because then you have accountability to all these people. So yeah, I think that has definitely been a very helpful thing for me. Like the writer's group has just been a godsend. And I'm telling you all right now, I would not be writing this book if it wasn't for the writer's group because this week was hard. (laughs) Was it? Yeah, it was hard week. It was a hard week. I mean, I turned in 5,000 words. Usually I tried to turn in like between eight and 10,000, but I was like, oh my God, like, where do I even start this story? I was having that eating the elephant issue and, you know, really like, and I worked on it pretty much every day, like since um, I got home from my trip. So, I mean, it was, it was slow going, but I'm hoping that it will pick up steam now because I kind of have everyone situated where I need them to be. How long can you write at a time, uh, Lance? So until for two moons uh, for book one, up until the very end of the book, I probably the longest I ever wrote for was an hour and a half, which is super short. Most people, I think, can write a lot longer than that. 
but my minutes per hour is really high because I spend a lot of time thinking about it before I start writing because mm-hmm. I that doesn't count the planning, right? Like I'll take like an hour, usually like early in the week, I'll take like an hour or two hours to like write all my bullet points of the chapter. Um, Lance, do so you then when to I'm music? actually sitting there. Sorry, no, I, I'm, I, I can't, I'm very bad at multitasking. Oh, you can't listen to music while you write. No. Me neither. I can't like listen to music while doing anything really except for biking or something. Guys, I like curate playlists for each of my books. Like there's no way I have to, I have to have that atmosphere. It like really inspires me. Like here. need that playlist. Could you oh, uh, yeah. curate a playlist of royalty-free music for your next book so that we can use it in the pod? <laughs> sure. But I'll just say, can I mention names of like the artists on the pod? Uh, I'll bleep them out if it's a problem. Okay. Like I've been using music from, uh, I don't know if any of you play video games, but Assassin's Creed came out with this Greek video game and the music on it is fantastic. So I've been listening to a lot of that, a lot of um, Gladiator soundtrack. There's this movie, like sometimes I look at movies and I'm like, how does that even exist? Like that, is, that doesn't exist. But there is this movie with Channing Tatum and Jamie Bell crazily. And they're two Roman soldiers like in Britannia. And have you seen it? It's called The Eagle. It's a good movie. No. You know that story, Lance? The Eagle of the Ninth went missing in Britain. Yeah, the and missing they to, Roman it, Legion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's based on that story. It's Sweet. good. Anyway, that music is like fabulous. So I've just been listening to a lot of that kind of music to just put me in the mood for writing. And yeah, it, I, it, I find it works, you know? One, one thing I'll, I'll say is that when, when I was writing Two Moons... Um, you know, I, I, I was handing in between probably like 5,000, about like probably five to 10,000 words every three weeks, except for that one week where I gave in 20,000 words, which was just terrible for you guys. But anyways, um, the, the climax though, I started writing it at 85,000 words and it finished just over 100,000. I started writing at like 9.30 that night and then I stopped around 1 a.m. and then I picked it back up the next morning and I at around 10.30 and wrote till 12.30 and finished it. That's amazing. Yeah. My words per hour was probably pretty high, but I'd been thinking about the scene for like a year straight. So you were ready. <laughs> yeah. I definitely write way longer than an hour and a half each time. I, I probably write like three or four hours every time I go to write. What time of the day? Um, well, I have a small child, so late. <laughs> After bedtime. You. You guys probably noticed that most of my submission emails come in at like two AM. Pat. That's fine. I stay up till I stay up pretty late too. Do you really? But not writing. Yeah. Doctor's orders. Yep. How late do you stay up? One AM. Oh my goodness. What time do you wake up? Um, eight. Eight? I guess that's like enough sleep. You're I love sleep. I didn't know like there were um there was a moon or stars like until like grade school i think i didn't if know I, go to sleep, yeah. I spent a long time trying to go to sleep earlier um yeah. but then i was just waking up in the middle of the night uh all the time and so the trick for me is to go to bed pretty late and then i just have a huge solid block you know welcome what? to the sleep podcast wow. welcome to Sleepcast. <laughs> <laughs> i'm down for Sleepcast. The yeah. ASMR podcast where we reread our books. <laughs> We're probably putting so many people to sleep right now. It's all good. <laughs> Hopefully you're not driving right now. Should we, uh, should we move on to the summary? Yeah. yeah let's do that. Get if you're notes. driving, um, pull over. <laughs> a group of prisoners is being held in a dirty cell somewhere in the Roman countryside in 31 BC. They are crowded around the body of a man who's been clubbed over the head. Their jailer. A young man named Marco takes charge, changing into the guard's clothes after stealing the ring of keys off his belt. Marco escapes, not before assuring his fellow prisoners he will find a mysterious landmark known only as the Rip. Marco narrowly escapes, finding the main road. He does find the Rip, but not before having an arrow shot through his heart. In modern-day Rome, a young woman called Cassie Cook 
is working as an archaeologist and PhD student, lamenting the bureaucratic nightmare that is digging in the city. She has been placed in charge of managing a dig after her supervisor, the respected Dr. Palmer, has vanished on one of his madcap adventures. Her friend Hugh, a fellow PhD student and expert on the Emperor Augustus, takes her out for a drink. When they escape to a taverna, there are reports of a bow and arrow attack north of the city on the TV. While they moan about the trials of being perpetual students, their conversation is interrupted by the mysterious Milo, another archaeologist associated with Dr. Palmer. The mysterious man whisks Cassie away, leaving Hugh stuck with the bill. As Hugh leaves the taverna, he notices he's being tailed by two men. He tries to blend in with a group of tourists, but ends up being kidnapped anyway. Meanwhile, Cassie and Milo head back to the dig site. Milo searches Cassie's office and finds that it has been bugged. When he destroys the listening device, he tells Cassie that Dr. Palmer is in trouble and he needs her help. Hugh is seated and bound to a chair with a black cloth covering his eyes. When his blindfold is taken off, he sees Ulrich Best, tech mogul and billionaire, there to greet him. He wonders what a man like Best wants with an obscure scholar like himself. Hey, who do you guys want to go first? I haven't gone first yet. I'll go first. Just so everyone knows, I just want to say... Um, I like, am very scared to always receive criticism. And when I was starting out in the writer's group, I would have to lie down in my bed with a glass of wine to be able to receive comment. However, this book, I'm like, it's not like my favorite child. So I'm please. It's okay. Our criticism. Yeah. Please, please give me criticism. It's fine. I'm, I'm going to be an adult about it. I think, well, this is more of a general point, not for my comments this time or anything. I'll I'll try to be as harsh as I can. But mostly, like, when I'm listening to your guys' comments, I'm just um, making sure that they kind of make sense with what I was aiming for. Like, uh, no one, I mean, we're all here for fun. We're not going to shred each other's work. We're not Cassie marking her students' homework or anything like that. No, we're definitely on the pot on the like we're definitely on the positive side of the of the, of the spectrum. And we're we urge positive. all our, our listeners to be the same in our subreddit when these finally air. Um, okay, so I'm, I'll get into this. Um, so I kind of broke up my comments to. Uh, well, anyways, first I just want to talk about like the, the writing style. Um, so right off the bat, like super abrasive. <coughs> introduction couple sentences like the like putrid shit his nose is blind like it was very attention grabbing so i I think that's that must have been intentional because it because it was really good um thank you it was this this but uh it's neat that the kind of prologue ties in like it, it is in the past in the distant past like a regular prologue but then it also kind of turns out that it's not. And when we see in the news that the uh, bow and arrow victim is also in present day. So that, that was a neat little kind of like play on a prologue, I guess. Um, the archaeology itself is an act of destruction. Did you come up with that or is that a thing in archaeology? That is a thing. Oh, okay. It, it reminded me of like, you know, like quantum mechanics. If you, uh, if you observe, you change things by observing them. Anyways. That's interesting. That, that sentence just stuck out to me. Um, and then for your setting description, I mean, it's extremely obvious that I think our readers or our listeners will guess where you were in vacation because, <laughs> uh, yeah, the little details are great. Uh, it really brings you there. Anyways, yeah, so obvious where where uh, we are, the setting is yeah, well described. Um I, I like the little the national pastime is complaining about the country. The little little, little details like that are great. Um, so in the plot, we have like the escape scene right off the hop to make the prologue super thrilling and interesting. Um, and then we get our break to like get some character development before getting dumped right back into it with uh, Hughes being followed and then abducted. Um, Milo, who's very mysterious. Like it seemed almost like he was kidnapping Cassie at first um, and then finding the bug in the office. So um, right into it with the first, with the introduction, which is always hard to do. Um, so then 
yeah, the last notes I just have are about the characters, which really the introduction is all about trying to introduce your characters as efficiently as you can. And I think you nailed that. Like, so here's what I know about your character, Cassie. So in spite of bringing a free spirit, I think comes all of her other quirks. So we know that she's a free spirit because she's on, you know, her adventure. Uh, we see her like swearing with like a work colleague. So she's like kind of casual with her demeanor. But then at the same time, in spite of all that, like she's a nitpick. She's got her like attention to detail with her with marking her papers. Um, she's super proactive and ambitious with her like funding applications, uh, criticizing her boss. Like he needs to screen his students better. Um, and then she's a little bit awkward, uh, saying like that she doesn't want to be a PhD student for life in front of Hugh, who is that. And then uh, I, like kind of being flirty with Milo, I guess, but really awkward flirty. Um, so anyways, super interesting character already. And I can kind of figure out just with these couple interactions, sort of what she's all about. Um, and then the next character we're introduced to is Palmer. Who, who survives is Palmer. Um, I really like that promise the world and given the solar system as well, um, which I think is at first I was like, oh, that's, you know, like any great teacher should do that, I guess. But I'm like, mm, maybe some kind of sinister cabal, secret cabal in the background for Lance to enjoy. Um, and then Hugh... Uh, we know right away he's a bit eccentric. He's got his, like, you know, button down in a dirty hole. Um, he's unfocused, kind of laid back. You know, he's been doing his doctor for eight years. He's reactive. She dragged him out there from the library. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's he's laid back and, and maybe interested in... Um, I think we were hinted that he was interested in Cassie romantically. And he's, like, you know, taking out for drinks and stuff. Um and then the last character is Milo, who uh, is extremely mysterious um, with his accented voice and aggressive behavior. And I, I'll save my hot take for later, but uh, <laughs> that's coming. So yeah, that, that's all I have for notes. Um, yeah, if your intro is supposed to introduce the setting and the characters, I think you nailed it. Good. I'm glad. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. All right, so for my comments, yeah, I identified a lot of the same stuff that uh, that Pat did. Let me just pull it up here. So I thought that first couple paragraphs, like it sets the tone like crazy. Um, and it's like right away, like very, the to very different tone from your previous book. Like there's swearing, there's like, you really describe the smell of a prison cell, there's violence, discomfort, and then an escape from prison. And, um, and like, there's just enough information to get what's going on with that. Um, like, like we hear the mention that they can hear Latin. So it's probably in the past if they can hear Latin. And then for me, when you refer to the rip right away, like, I, I mean, we're expecting sci-fi fantasy. So I think we could expect that to be like a rip in space time. I think that was pretty expected. I, I like, I, I think that maybe someone else wouldn't get it, but I, I, I caught onto that right away. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely getting set up for magical travel through time and space. And then you paid it off right away. Um, within like, I don't know, by the end of the, the, the part you sent. Um, I thought honestly, the, I thought the, like the writing quality was really high. Um, like it sounds good in your head when you read it, you know what I mean? Oh, I'm I tried glad. To, yeah, I tried to figure out why I thought that because I don't usually notice that kind of stuff, even for others I like. Um, so I think that you have a really good sentence and word variety while using simple language. So I picked out, I pulled out one very short paragraph to read that I thought was good. The roaring pulse in his ears almost drowned out the sounds of a group of soldiers playing dice. Marco didn't dare breathe. In three steps, he made it to the large stone pillar. I really like that. This is just, there's no repetition of words. There's different, there's a variety of sentence structure. Uh, it's very clear, but it was also, you know, it really ups the ante um, a lot. So I really like that. 
uh, and then I just, you know, I really, um, I know that they're a trope, but I really love prologues. Um, and I think that your prologue did exactly what I like in prologues, which is just uh, set me up for what kind of action we're going to get in the story. Um, so now I'm expecting like some, some gritty violence. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and yeah, at some point. Um, then after the prologue, uh, there's a bit of exp- there's a fair bit of exposition. It's not too much. It was very good. And I was really like, I really believe in the story's action because I like the prologue so much. So I was super happy to read and buy into the prologue to chapter one after that. Uh, I definitely was, um, you know, I think a lot of people are going to feel person like they can personally relate to dealing with Palmer who is, in my opinion, an overzealous project manager whose job is to secure as much funding no matter what. Uh, so I think people could relate to that. That's my uh, job. <laughs> <laughs> secure the funding. Secure the funding. Um, then there was, uh, there was, oh, this is better than making, when you said, oh, our job is better than making spreadsheets. I think like a solid 3 billion people on earth right now feel personally attacked. Um, I personally well. felt attacked too when I wrote that. I was like, "Fuck you," you know. It's also my job. <laughs> but then Cassie says, "Oh, but you know, I'm, I was actually making a spreadsheet, like almost shamefully, you know." Oh, so yeah. it's like, even if you have a job where you're not making spreadsheets, like you're still making so friggin' spreadsheets. spreadsheets. <laughs> um, I really liked also that there's multiple point of views. I wasn't expecting that at all, because uh, your last book. I mean, I know there was like there was there was um there was a there was uh, in interludes. There was a few interludes and stuff, at least one. But most of it was from one point of view character. And I like that there's a couple. I just wasn't expecting that. I was like, oh, okay, cool, sweet. And I was wondering, is it new for you to write books with multiple point of view characters? Oh, yes, sir. Yep. Very much. Very much. But in, in romance writing, well, maybe that's not true. But in romance writing, you have two. So you have the male and the female perspective. Mm. And... um because like women love hearing about a man just completely falling in love with you. Like that's like a huge thing in romance books. So like they want to hear the progression of both characters, like internal thoughts. But I mean, in terms of writing characters that are having two separate stories happen at the same time, never in my life. Lance does that. I do. Pat does that. So this is definitely part of the reason why it took me so long. Um, Because I'm learning how to flip between two separate characters that are both driving the plot forward, but separately. Gotcha. Um, Okay, I I latched on to one tiny thing, which is I'm so no no it's not a criticism. It was something I'm super interested in. Okay. Palmer. One thing I noticed was uh, I'm asking. I'm wondering is Palmer like an intellectual intellectual like from. like maybe like a silver spoon type of born with a silver spoon type of thing, or is, or is he like kind of came up through, through, uh, through more of the, like he had to, or did he have to work to get to his high up position in excavation? So that's an interesting question. And when I was talking the other week about like stories start with a character for me. So the question I had for Cassie was what if your boss was like Indiana Jones what if your boss was this like mm. rip roaring archaeologist world traveler that did not give a F about who he was leaving behind or what he was doing or like all the paperwork that needed to be done and all that stuff. So that's kind of like where I was going with that. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, you notice because he went to Penn. I don't know if he teaches at Penn. Penn is a, a, a pretty prominent school. Yeah, it's it's an Ivy League school. Yeah, so I would so we're not going to hear too much of his backstory. So I don't feel like I'm revealing much here. Um, But he like, yeah, like he kind of like, I would say, like worked his way up and has like a lot of connections with people around the world. Okay, because yeah, I I, I don't I don't know why I I, I noticed that. But I think like, because if he has a pen, he has a a, a pen Quakers keychain. He does. And for me, for me, who like. I'm I'm not the biggest sports person in the world, but I follow like college sports a tiny bit, and like that's like right away I'm like okay that's Ivy League, yeah. And yeah. then if and so I'm I'm immediately building this image in my head right away that this is a silver spoon kind of guy, you know, uh, ivory tower maybe. Well, or or for for whatever reason either went attended a super prestigious school or teaches there, and 
if I don't know if that was the impression you wanted to give, because that's like in my head right now. If you wanted to make him like make him not that, you'd have to pick a different school because I think a couple people would probably feel the same way. But I, okay. I as long as that's the impression you're going for. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'll think about that a little bit. Um, because like also like I don't know Palmer so well yet. Gotcha. Um, but I, I don't think this is going to be much of a reveal, like unless this was your hot take, but Palmer was in the cell. Very believable. I think that isn't even a hot take. I think that's a predictable take. Right. That's a very, like, you, <laughs> hopefully you might have made that connection. Um, but yeah. I didn't. Okay. That's, that's an, okay. That's the entire story spoiled. <laughs> is it? <this, laughs> well, when were you going to reveal that? Well, like, well, he's isn't disappeared. It revealed that Palmer's in trouble. No. Palmer's in trouble. He's disappeared, and then we know there's a bunch of modern people that Palmer, were in a cell. Why aren't you screening for your students? Come on, we don't know he's in trouble. It's I guess true. We, I mean, like Milo, Milo kind of said it. If I disappear yeah. at work, I'm, I'm, it's not just because I time traveled, but I don't maybe. think anyone would notice if I disappeared at work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on! Don't say that. I'd like, like the uh, listeners to guess what my job is at the end of this. Um. Yeah, and uh, uh, my my last uh, two more comments was uh, oh, making him sign papers. That's like a super I'm powerful and you can't do anything move. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like like really, really rich and powerful people, they just, uh, you know, they make you sign something. And, and I don't know, like, you don't know. What are you going to do um, in his situation? So I thought that was that was a pretty nice touch. And uh, I thought it was really fun, and I'm uh, obviously fully bought in and intrigue, and I would have kept reading if I had the chance. So, thanks, guys. Uh, I think we're on the right track. Thanks. Yeah. Um, hard week. I but I I was liking it more as I was writing, so I don't want to um, burn it yet. But yeah, I don't know what else to say about this week besides that um, I'm totally out of my comfort zone with this. Um, I'm going to be like, I don't know, like I'm trying to see what kind of kinds of good movies or like things I can watch or like short stories I can read to like really get into that friggin, I guess like angels and demons, like a Dan Brown kind of situation, you know, you guys read Dan Brown. I read the Da Vinci Code like way, way, way when it first came out. Did you buy into the Da Vinci Code? Um, I thought it was cool, but I was also like a teenager when I read it. So, you know, that was, yeah. Da Vinci Code was a long time ago. Pat, do you know what Da Vinci Code, do you know what the thing of Da Vinci Code is? The plot? The thing of it? Yeah. Do you know what it's about? Well, the movie was huge. I think I watched the movie or no, wait, I watched National Treasure. I didn't watch Da Vinci Code. Oh my National God. Na- National Treasure is a good one to watch actually. It's a good movie. It's a sweet movie. Nick Cage knows what's up. I low-key love that movie. It's not low key. It's actually really good. You know, it's very what was a much key. worse version of that? Sahara. Wow. Okay, I didn't. I did not know I was coming to the Sahara slander cast. Okay, like <laughs> I, I actually love that movie. I can't believe you. Are uh, you serious right now? Yeah, it's terrible. How is I it bad? It. How? How? Name one bad thing about that movie. Okay. Name one bad thing about that movie right now. You can't. I guess I haven't watched it since like. I don't know, 2002? What? <laughs> when did it come out? <laughs> Do you want to know something so embarrassing that I'm about to share with you right now? <laughs> did you watch it last you week? Say now. Does no, Connor I didn't the DVD? watch it last sneak it out of our car when we had <laughs> No, okay. In the car? I, lived, I lived near this store, okay, growing up called Flicks and Flavors, okay? And it was a movie rental place way back when you'd rent DVDs and you would get ice cream there too, flicks and flavors. And literally like no one knew how they were making money. And like every time you'd go in, there would be a bunch of men, like middle-aged to young men. And they would walk into the store and they would go into this like secret door. Like, you know how they had like doors, like, you know, in some, I'm not explaining this well, but you know how in some like, stores like they have the shelving and then they have like just a door in the back yeah okay of the shelving so that you can steal the cigarettes when you're on the cool <laughs> guy in the movie is that what you did pat no but that's in the cool people in the movie wait till the shopkeep turns around and they sneak up and take the cigarettes from that little sneaky door 
okay, maybe, maybe, I don't know. But like literally like the joke in our family was that it was like an illegal gambling place that people would go to because it was just the weirdest thing. Um, I'm totally exposing myself, by the way, with this story, but it's fine. I don't live in that neighborhood anymore. Um, but like I would rent Sahara like all the time from that place because I loved it. I loved it so much. And the guy one time was like, listen, you're here all the time. You're like 11 years old. He's like, why don't I'll, I'll give it to you for five bucks. He's like, just take it. Just take it. Home. I was like the only, it. I was like the only one renting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so there you go. It's like a movie close to my heart. Not Matthew McConaughey's best. What would you say? I said not not Matthew McConaughey's best movie. What is his best movie? Well, I really like True Detective. That's not a movie. No. Yeah, so different category. <laughs> it's a, I don't know. But I like that. That's a good show, though. That is a good show. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I'm just being difficult. I, yeah, you know, we're, I, we're off track again. We're off track. You raise, a, yeah. you raise a really good point, though, that people talk about, that when you're writing something, you should consume content that's, that's similar to it. Right? That's yes. really important. I don't do it at all, but I should. Yeah. I'm wondering what would be good for you, Lance, to watch. Because I, I made some suggestions to Pat last week. But I mean, obviously, I guess like Game of Thrones is like the obvious one. But I mean, there's some like really great. I mean, there hasn't been like. I don't think good fantasy film or content existed like before. Ooh, I have a good one for you. Um, yes last samurai they like it's they all have swords and they're up against guns and that's kind of what's going on in your book there is some guns versus spears in my book that is true oh that's a good one they get like the early machine gun with like the turn crank thing yeah gatling mowing down the like samurais anyways is that a a tom cruise i haven't watched that since 2002 either i think yeah it is tom cruise love tom cruise that's a, that is a hot take controversial opinion. Is this a controversy cast? <laughs> I think it's just movie reviews. <laughs> this is not the right podcast for me because <gasps> oh. you guys know I not I've not seen a ton of movies. So. Yeah. All right, we're done talking about what you can unpull over now. The sleep cast is over <laughs> because it's, I think it's almost time for hot takes. Well, we okay. still have some time. Writing is so hard. You know what? It's actually like, I think that the writing is hard thing is real because it obviously there's like, you could be like a bricklayer and that's like objectively harder than sitting at a computer and typing stuff. Like it's objectively harder to lay bricks than to do that. But a lot of people say they want to write books. Like, like everyone, like everyone's like, Oh, I have this idea for a book or, Oh, I'd love to write a book someday. And like, no one does it. Like, well, you spend like, they spend hours doing other stuff and, they just don't write the book. Well, okay, like you just have to put time in, and but it's 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 the getting over that that what's the word we used before? Um, uh, uh, we had a Barrier word before. We said, what prefer? No, yeah, a bit, but um, pe- people feel apprehensive or whatever about writing or scared mm. to write. Uh, we had the right word earlier. As Wait, soon as we were on the podcast, I'll remember it. But like, it's tough to you don't want like you have this idea for a story in your head, and then you sit down and you're like what do I even do? Like, what do I, like my first scene is not as cool. Like I have the cool scene in my head, but I can't, I have to explain all these characters and all this stuff. It's like, it's actually hard to do. You know Um, what? And like, you know what else is that I was writing a lot before, like I actually decided to write a novel. Like, you know, if you sit down and you write like a chapter of a story or like a short story or like a friggin' fan fiction and you're just like writing and testing your craft, like that is just so important to like, that is your becoming as a writer, you know, as Cheryl Strait says. Yeah. 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 Writing is extremely low barrier to entry except for the thousands of hours of work that you have to put in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But all you need other than that is a computer, I guess. I mean, I can't imagine writing with a typewriter or pencil or something. Yeah, I don't think like, that's I do very so many edits. Now. Even just while I'm, it takes me like three tries to write a sentence. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. It's it's uh, yeah it's it's really hard and the the barrier to entry thing is it's true because it's like 
like again that's why like it's it's hard to be like well if you ask someone like all these writers or the worst is of course is 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 english professors or whatever it's like how do i become a good writer and they're like oh find your inner voice that doesn't mean anything that sentence means actually nothing there's no value in that sentence um whereas so it's like oh how do i how do i make a good book it's like well make people relate to your characters there's one thing you can do how do I do that? Well, make them likable, funny, or, prote- or or proactive, or give them a viewpoint, and make them competent. There you go. There's five things you can do to make people like characters. Um, so it's like it's really actually hard to give concrete advice, but that's what. Did you guys read Catcher in the Rye? Yes. No. He's none of those things. The main character. Holden. He's not likable. He's not proactive. He's not. What was the third one? Uh, like well, proactive, competent, uh, he's not, funny. Well, he doesn't make himself seem particularly competent. I guess he thinks he's smart, or he seems to be smart. I don't know. It's been Is a while he an underdog? Before. He's kind of just like a grumpy teen and kind of spends the whole book being grumpy. Mm-hmm. You know, Pat, though, I think that book is more famous for like its depiction of being a teenager and like some of the profound like statements in it than it is for like being a plot driven book. And like a lot of our classics are like that, like not all of them, but a lot of them are. And so I think like when we look at, you know, our classic books or like books we study in English lit and everything, like having a character before that time that wasn't likable that wasn't you know super proactive like you know like all those friggin 50s books like all the characters are like sunshine happy rainbows i'm gonna kill the friggin i don't know nazis and and you know capitalism over communism kind of thing and and then you just get this like aimless kid wandering around new york like it was so different from what had come before and that's why we honor those books but yeah like in general you're not going to be the next, um, you know, writer of Catcher in the Rye. Like, if you want to know how to write a good, solid story, like, following the advice that's out there is generally going to help you rather than hurt you, you know? Also, um, also right. is what you want to write. Yeah. Yes, totally. If you want to be the next Dostoevsky, A, good luck. B, you know, go for it. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you not to do it. But that it's tough. True. It's tough to write you know, like forty awesome characters every time. Get your stuff up on Amazon for free. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and you can even put a quote on the cover: "The next Dostoevsky from," and then just quote yourself. <laughs> Nothing stopping you from quoting yourself. <laughs> well, I will give you guys a quote for sure. Oh, I'll, I'll put give you guys on my, a quote. I'll put you on my uh, pretend or my working um, covers. Can I? Can I make the quote? And I'll just yes. put your name on it. Sure. Yeah, I'll endorse anything you say. In principle. Right oh, I have one that Jess, you can help me with. Can we get one where it's like astrologically airtight? And then from Jess. I love for that. For my book. Because yeah. astrologically I really, sound. Because every time like it I felt like every time I would submit, you'd be like, oh, this actually this part of your book, the moons, what the moons do in this chapter is like astrologically yeah. sound with what they're doing. And I was like, what? Yeah, my um, my like character that I play on this podcast brings a lot of kooky ant energy, you know, where I'm basically like in a caftan, like reading people's tarot cards. And I just I just love like symbolism in books. And so, yeah, that was something um, especially with Lance's book where I was like, hey, let me tell you about this here. Um, because in f- fantasy and symbolism, they go hand in hand. And so I like to pretend I'm like, I don't know, of Sherlock Holmes of deciphering symbols. Maybe Robert Langdon, actually, who's a symbologist. And yeah, just annoy everyone and, and do that. So it's fun. Jess read my tarot cards. I'm still very excited to. Uh, I did. Yeah. Did, did I take a picture? You did. Yeah, I have it. Amazing. I'm still waiting for my offers, my job offers that I was supposed to get. Yeah. Yeah. But Did I say anything about like the house or anything? Um, you know what? You're you said don't take the first offer. So we didn't for the like we negotiated. And so maybe that was supposed to do with the house. Oh my gosh. See, it's proven. <laughs> and then, real. But then I had a job interview the next day and I didn't get it. 
He said, hold okay. out for the next one. So I didn't hold out. I, I mean, I couldn't, I didn't have the option to. Although I okay. was based on that tarot card reading and nothing else, completely prepared to turn that job down. Okay. So okay. in that way, my heart was ready for the rejection. Okay. Okay. Well, I think there was lots of good stuff in that tarot reading. So just keep Oh, yeah. Just I'm really patient. excited for that good stuff to come. Yeah. Is it possible? Now, I don't know anything about that, but you could use that as a starting point for an interesting character in a book. Couldn't you pull a bunch of different character traits from your cards and then you would have something that's like kind of original? Ooh, that's interesting. You know, um, yes. So like all the, so um, what tarot cards are basically is like they kind of mimic like an actual card deck. So like you have what are called the major arcana cards and those all kind of personify like different aspects of humanity so like you have cards like the fool or the magician or the empress or you know um the hermit like all of those cards like definitely you could like take character traits from them i had this idea um of a story a long time ago where a woman goes in for a tarot card reading and she's like single girl living in new york like just a very normal girl and the fortune teller gives her this extremely specific reading where she says the love of your life is currently imprisoned in this foreign country with and you have to get through these people or like these things to go and find them and like basically lays out like a treasure hunt for her to find like the love of her life like through these tarot cards and she and she goes and she does it um anyway maybe next season who knows but yeah it, yeah, that's that's an interesting way to develop a character there, Lance. I like it. I yeah, I was because I was thinking I don't I, I have a hard time coming up with characters, but my when I come up with some some ways to come up with plots is uh, that something I like to do to come up with plots is I'll just take totally innocuous like uh, like group dynamics or or events that take place. Like it could be so easy, like like um, like. Uh, like uh, uncle Jimbo got a divorce because of some reason. And then you just, you just make the whole change, the whole setting to something magical or, or even better. Like, Oh, someone threw a party. And then this one couple couldn't show up because you know, the guy got sick. It could be like that simple. Right. And then you just make it setting, like make the setting, your fantasy setting, and then give everyone sinister motivations. And then instead of not showing up to the party, they get assassinated. And then you got your whole plot right there. However, it reacted all the different characters. You got everything ready to go. And that's how I come up with a lot of my plots in my head. I love that. I think for George R. R. Martin, it was like just all about incest. It's like, what, what would happen if this brother and sister were having sex with each other? Um, I don't know why my mind went there. I'm so sorry. But it's, yeah, it's just funny where people's minds go, you know? And then you're like, okay, I it guess is. we're here. Guess that is the, the spurring on the entire plot of this entire huge series. Yep, checks out. Checks out. Um, all right, should we get to our favorite segment? Yeah, let's get to hot takes. Sounds good. I uh, I don't have any prepared. I got to think of one. Oh, I have one. You have some? Go ahead, Ben. Yeah. Okay, so my hot take is Milo is from the past. Oh, that was going to be mine. No, no, it was not. I came up with that all myself. Um. <laughs> I don't know if he's necessarily from the place we went in the prologue, but uh, he's somewhere from somewhere in the past. Milo is that a is that a Latin name? I was like I was trying to go through like some people like, oh, like Caesar Augustus who I was like Octavian that doesn't work either. I was like I don't know Brutus. Are there other people from from well, it's like thirty three BC right? So like Caesar's gonna get get stabby stabbed. No way is or is that that's around then? Yeah, it's gotta be around then. I cannot confirm nor deny. Okay. Good one, Pat. Crush it. Um, crush that. Uh, for me, can I just say I also love that there's definitely a sinister cabal wiretap or uh, or like bugging bugging your your room. Super, super duper cabal move. I cannot confirm nor deny. Okay. Um, to think about what could have caused the rip oh lance you like, know what it's okay it's okay if that was both your hot take i love that it means well, i'm doing something maybe correctly what i 
like my favorite like one of my favorite my favorite reveal of all time is a book called the well of ascension because the first sentence of the book actually reveals the ending and you just don't believe it and then the ending happens you're like why didn't i believe the first sentence of the book he told me exactly that what was going to happen um, spoiler alert well yeah moratorium the the statute of limitations has passed it's been out for like 15 years um that's how it works right um probably but so i was trying to think like is there something in like the first page that like reveals it like who's marco i was like is there someone but he's definitely from the present so he's probably just a dude um yeah it's got to be a bunch of, and then all the other people were like were, were older right so maybe it was like a couple students and a couple professors first year student thinks he's going to you know the arts ends up in ancient Ooh. rome also explains the high if it's a first year student that also was really funny okay my hot take is marco's a first year student and my reasoning for it is the high confidence i took psychology <laughs> 101 let me tell you why you're sad all the time like okay mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i'm the youngest i can definitely sneak past all these guards shouldn't have ran he was wearing the guard costume he could have just walked oh. yeah and then serpentine yeah. marco rookie mistake yeah exactly all right well that that's that's my take love it all right great job jess thanks guys uh romans bows and arrows is that a thing for sure the throwing spear is a huge part of the roman military aesthetic it's bow and arrow i don't i don't know i feel like crossbow is um crossbow i think is look that up that is a good that is a very good point the throwing spear because we forgot about is the nitpick section I, think, I didn't have any nitpicks until now and the pens and the pen quakers one but it, that one worked out i think they did have um infantry that had bows and arrows just because like just because of their fighting style how they would send like um the infantry men with the big um like the big long um sure. what is this the shields out first and then they would go in the line and then so i think they did have arrows like hitting the enemy as they were marching uh, out. Okay. But uh, you know what? I'm going to double check. Cause that's like a very good question. Cause I know that Romans made, there was one of the, at one point they made a modification to make all of their spears out of metal instead of using wood spears with metal tips yes. so that they would bend and the enemies couldn't throw them back. Cause they mm-hmm. were one shot use only. That just remelt them. You're Rome. You can do whatever you want. You can melt all the spears you want. Literally. That's all we have for today. If you want to do the homework for next week's episode, you'll be able to find some of our latest work at patreon.com slash WGBC podcast. We are also WGBCP on Twitter. Thank you for listening. And remember to just keep writing. So is Durant going to the raps or what? You have no idea how happy I was that someone asked me that question. Anyway, sorry. that That's not podcast related. Welcome to Basketball Cast. Yeah, welcome to Basketball Cast, where we talk about Kevin Durant trade rumors. Is it going to happen? I think that nobody knows. It <laughs> all depends how much pressure Brooklyn feels to give in to his trade request. Because I don't think they feel there's a, there's a, he's a MB, he was an MVP candidate last year before his injury, a good MVP candidate. And the team was good before he got injured. And, um, and he's one of the best players of all time. And yeah, he's still pretty good, that- even though he's 34. Isn't that why Kawhi left? Because like he was injured and like there was like an issue between the coach and everything or I think that was why he left his previous Okay, his previous, before he uh, went to the Raptors. Stop. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um I think for him it was m- more clear cut that he wanted to live in LA, which makes sense because he was one of the most he was the most desirable player in free agency that year. Durant's not a free agent. He has to play for Brooklyn unless they trade him. Okay. Um so uh so yeah but anyways again welcome to trade rumor cast (laughs) so (laughs) sleep cast trade rumor cast you know spouse interrupting cast 